0: Well, why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me to uh, the New Testament, to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Galatians 5, and as many of you know, we are in a, we're in a series right now called Two Ways to Live, in which we're looking at what Scripture refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, throughout the study, uh, we've been pressing this idea uh, and the importance of spiritual assessment, you know, taking a, taking a long, honest look at our lives, at how we're living. Because if you think about it, at some point each year, the majority of us will go out and get a physical checkup, right, to make sure our health is good. Uh, some of us at the end of the year will do a financial checkup. A lot of us uh, go through, at some point in the year, a review process at our places of employment. And yet, how often how often do we take time to review our lives, you know, to evaluate our spiritual health? How often do we do a deep soul-searching and self-evaluation uh, before God, I mean, let's face it, while we in the church acknowledge that God knows what is right and best and healthy and true for us as human beings, and we readily affirm the authority of his word, from one moment to the next, really our lives are lived more shaped by our sinful preferences than, than anything else. And we're really quick to point out the failures and, and uh, shortcomings of, of those around us, uh, but ignore our own sinful attitudes and behaviors. I mean, and is that, is that true for us in the, this room? I mean, is it true for me? Is it true for you? Or do our lives rightly reflect what we say we believe, what we what we say is important? Because Jesus said, no good tree bears a bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. In other words, he was saying that over time, what you do every day reveals who you really are. Um, later in the New Testament, as we've seen, the Apostle Paul picks up on this teaching and he uses fruit the fruit metaphor to explain how when we put our faith in Jesus, uh, the Spirit of God comes into our lives in a very real way and and produces in us and through us attitudes and behaviors that are very different from those that come naturally to us as as imperfect, sinful human beings. Paul writes, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. But by contrast, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And something something in these tell it tells us we hear those and we're like yeah this is right this is these are beneficial. Th- these are healthy things. This list describes the kind of men and women we really should be. And Paul says Paul says that's what happens though, that when the Spirit of God comes. He produces all of these things in and through us. It's not just one or two of them, but all of these are growing, at least should be growing and manifesting themselves uh, more and more in our lives, in our relationships, and in our church. Now, so far, we've talked about the first seven of these virtues, if you will, uh, and This morning, I want to talk to you about number eight and how the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Now, uh, full disclosure here. For me, this is just for me, um, the idea of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, that makes a lot of sense. That makes sense to me. Those all sound very reasonable. I can see the need for these qualities in my own life, and I, I, desire, I desire them. But I got to tell you, you know, the whole gentleness thing, mm-mm, not so much, you know, I grew up in North Jersey in a tough neighborhood, and you know, for me, I, I'm just going to tell you the truth. For me, the idea—I didn't I grow up in a Christian home, so the idea of a Christian was Christians were were women and whims. I, I, full disclosure, you know, I just thought, you know, that's that's not for me. That whole Christian deal is not for me. Uh, my 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 idea of and, and my idea of gentleness was. Uh, uh, Unacceptable, you know, and so since becoming a Christian, it's been really hard for me to wrap my brain about around this idea of gentleness, because my my, my gut reaction is i don't do that, you know I don't do that, and the thought of people saying "Ray is such a gentle soul is ooh to me, you know that f- freaks me out a little bit i don't, I don't ever want to hear that, please don't ever say that. In fact, <laughs> can I just show you uh, again, full disclosure, can I just show you? Uh, the image that pops into my twisted brain when I start thinking about gentleness. Uh, this is how I kind of view it, and this is how I want to react to it. Check it out. So I'm not proud. I'm not proud that that's, a, that's the image that comes into mind, so don't judge me. But um, uh, but it's true. That's kind of how I, how I view it and how I want to react to it, the idea of gentleness. Um, and so with that being the case, over the years I've realized I've got to do a little work here. And... Uh, if I'm going to better understand and better appreciate what the Apostle Paul is actually talking about when he when he says that gentleness is the fruit of, of God's spirit, uh, but there are obviously some challenges to that. First challenge for me is personal. I've got to overcome my own preconceived ideas, biases, and issues. But the second challenge is really more uh, it's more um, it's more technical. It's more linguistic, because the Greek term that we translate gentleness in this text is the term proutus. And it's a rather unique term in the sense that it has limited usage in the New Testament, which makes it harder to nail down a concise definition for this term. Sometimes our English, uh, our translators use the English word "meek" to express uh, its meaning, but that word that word carries its own um, interpretive baggage, right? I mean, we 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 think of meekness as cowardice or timid passivity, neither of which uh, are accurate. But what it ultimately comes down to is we don't we don't really have one English word that reflects the complexities and multifaceted nuances of the Greek term that Paul uses. So how do we figure out exactly what gentleness means? And to me, I think we start off by deducing what it can't mean based on the guy who uses the the, the word. Um, I mean, think about it, the Apostle Paul Was was no wallflower. I mean, he was a pretty tough guy. He he had taken beatings. He was imprisoned. He uh, he was in riots. He was shipwrecked. He was bit by a snake. I mean, the guy was a pretty tough dude. He was assertive, very bright. He was a courageous uh, a courageous individual. So from his perspective, we can determine uh, with a high degree of accuracy what gentleness is not. It's not about being physically or emotionally weak or fragile. Paul's not talking about indecisiveness or passivity, and he certainly can't be talking about having a lack of conviction or being so easygoing, we'll just do anything to avoid conflict. Neither is he uh, talking about being uh, uh, unassuming social softies, because Paul was none of those things. So all of those possibilities can be reasonably eliminated. The next thing we can do is consider how the ancient Greeks Uh, understood the notion of Proutus or gentleness as we translate it. And and so doing some research, uh, here's what I found. I found that a number of ancient Greek writers, philosophers, historians, uh, all used this term to describe how to deal with people, how to deal with people in a way that is helpful, not hurtful, in a way that that brings about peace, not provocation. In fact, the ancient Greeks saw Proutus or gentleness as an honorable personality trait. Uh, and here are some examples of how these, uh, these ancient writers used the term and viewed the concept. For example, Xenophon was a Greek writer and a philosopher who wrote a book called The Anabasis, literally means uh, the expedition, and it was a journal of his uh, experience traveling with an army of 10,000 Greek mercenaries uh, who set out to seize the throne of Persia. And in the journal, Xenophon uses the term Proutus to describe the kind and patient way he saw uh, an officer in the army, diffuse a potentially explosive argument between two soldiers. Uh, rather than arrogantly and, and aggressively imposing his, op- his opinion and authority into the situation, this officer spoke with, 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 a, with a humility, with this so- he approached it with this, this, soothing, this soothing attitude, and he calmed things down and helped bring about an agreeable resolution. Uh, in another book that he wrote, called the uh, the Art of Horsemanship, Xenophon applies the term Proutus to how an effective horse trainer um, calmly approaches a wild stallion and then trains it without using brutality. And then Xenophon turns and he uses the term uh, to describe the horse uh, once it's been once it's been broken and trained, you know, a powerful animal that becomes that becomes calm and obedient to its reins. It's the idea of strength under control overall. That's what's in his mind. Plato, uh, in his work, Laws, used the term proudest to describe a victorious general who graciously spares a conquered people. For him, it also carried the image of a king forgiving a servant who who failed in a particular task. Plato also applied the term to a physician who does what uh, he or she can to treat a patient effectively, inflicting the least amount of pain necessary for healing to take place in that person's life. Socrates, uh, as quoted in Plato's Republic, used the term proudest in regard to one's ability to argue a point without, without losing your temper, you know, without freaking out. It's a kind of soothing demeanor that helps calm the anger in others rather than inciting it. It, it encourages uh, respectful dialogue instead of stifling it. And then there's, then there's Aristotle, who uh, writes about the topic of gentleness in at least two of his works. In uh, Virtues and Vices, Aristotle defines Proudness as the ability to bear reproaches and slights with moderation and to not embark on revenge quickly, not to be easily provoked to anger, but to be free from bitterness and uh, contentiousness, having tranquility and a stability in the spirit. Now, that's not to suggest that gentleness and anger are mutually exclusive. That's not what Aristotle is saying. He's really saying that gentleness is sort of the middle ground between excessive anger and indifference, not giving a rip. In fact, in his book on ethics, Aristotle writes that proutus uh, can involve anger uh, on the right grounds against the right persons in the right manner at the right moment for the right length of time. Now... I realize, that, I realize that's a lot of classical information, probably more than you're really interested in, but here's the deal. In order for us to, to grasp what Paul has in mind when he, when he places gentleness in his list, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, it's helpful to understand what the, these ancient Greeks felt the term meant and what it implied. So in an effort to synthesize all that, here's my Ray K summary. Proutus or gentleness, reflects, first and foremost, uh, it reflects humility. It's an attitude of life and and an approach toward people that's devoid of personal arrogance. It's the refusal to compare yourself uh, with others as a way to boost your own self-esteem at their expense. It promotes others uh, before you promote yourself. Uh, Gentleness includes the readiness and willingness to forgive those around you. In fact, if you were to look at the letter of Galatians, the next chapter of the letter that Paul writes, you see how he implies the need of forgiveness when talking about how we're to deal with fellow Christians who are caught in, in sin. He used the word caught. It doesn't mean surprised. It means they're stuck. They're struggling. They're, 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 they're really, you know, they're struggling with rebellion. And, and, and Paul says, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person how? Gently. Gently. Just as Plato wrote of a physician's tenderness in treating patients, Paul uses the same healing uh, imagery here. The Greek term for restore was a medical term used for uh, setting a fracture. Uh, It meant putting a bone back in place, which is to be done carefully and tenderly as possible with with the least amount of pain. Yet doing so, ensuring that that which is broken gets fixed, that which is dysfunctional is made functional. So basically, Paul says we're to deal gently with it, with, it, with each other in, in a way that that heals, in a way that heals with humility and with forgiveness. Gentleness also means not being easily provoked. It means being calm, you know, being stable, not explosive or just flying off the handle in fits of rage. It's it's the ability to uh, discuss a matter of disagreement uh, reasonably, you know, without losing your cool, without losing your temper, as well as being able to, to bear an insult without immediately lashing out in retaliation. It's about wise and purposeful restraint. It's a slowness to react in anger and a quickness to extend grace. And even in, circumstance, in circumstances where, uh, where anger is rightfully warranted, gentleness reflects strength under control. Power and authority is not wielded indiscriminately for the sake of self-preservation or self-promotion or self-protection. Strength remains under restraint. And when and if it's uh, exerted, it's for the benefit of others. It's for the benefit of others. So so humility, forgiveness, not easily provoked, strength under control. I mean, is this, can we say that this is an accurate understanding of proudness, of gentleness? And as I look at the ancient Greek writers, as I look at the Apostle Paul, I say, yes, I think it can. But the clincher for me, the, the thing that seals the deal, is looking at Jesus. But why do we look at Jesus? We look at Jesus because one day he was talking to a big crowd of people, and he was inviting men and women uh, out of religion and into relationship. And he acknowledged how he acknowledged how burdened the people of Israel had become, how weighed down they were with an elaborate religious system of do's and don'ts and wills and won'ts, and, and Judaism of the first century had become such a, an intricate and convoluted web of man-made regulations and rituals, uh, which just had w- weighed people down. I mean, they were burdened. They were discouraged. They were, um, a lot of them had just given up on God, and Jesus says, Look, I know you guys are weary and burdened, but come to me. I'll give you rest. Because with me, he says, you don't have to work just believe. And then when Jesus said that, he went on to say something pertinent to our discussion. He went on and said, learn from me for I am gentle. There's our word, Proutus. Same term Paul uses. So think about it. And you tell me, was Jesus physically and emotionally weak or fragile? Was... Um, Was he indecisive and passive and lacking conviction? Just an unassuming social softy? No, not at all. Then, just as with Paul, we know what Jesus didn't mean by gentle, right? So, what did he mean? Well, again, you tell me. Was Jesus humble? It's interesting, um, right after Jesus says, I am gentle, he goes on to say, and humble in heart. I am gentle and humble in heart. And whenever I read that statement, I, I stop for a second and think, is it really possible to claim humility and maintain it at the same time? Is that possible? I mean, what if I told you I'm writing a book, Humility and How I Achieved It? What, what would you think about that? That's, that would be a weird thing, right? You'd say, that, no, no, that's, you, know, you didn't achieve it, dude, you know, you, you, you it wouldn't work because I'm not completely humble. None of us are. We all struggle with, with pride and arrogance. So is it possible for Jesus to claim humility without being arrogant? And as I see it, it would only be arrogant if it weren't true. But it is true. Paul explains it this way. He says, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here's my Reiki translation. Jesus was and is the epitome of genuine humility. Deity taking on flesh and blood to serve and save humanity. We who deserve nothing, the perfect coming to rescue the imperfect which then begs the question uh, about forgiveness. Was Jesus forgiving? I mean, do we even need to discuss that, right? Jesus was all about forgiveness, wasn't he? Paralytics, prostitutes, lawyers, fishermen, tax collectors, revolutionaries, Jews, Samaritans, Romans, uh, soldiers, civilians, religious, irreligious, men, women, children, friends, and enemies. With Jesus, grace and forgiveness was offered to all comers. Even on the cross, as his executioners gambled for his clothes and the people of Jerusalem watched his, his life drain away, Jesus prayed for the forgiveness of humanity. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And what about not being easily provoked? Uh, I, was, I was thinking back to when Jesus was heading to Jerusalem for the last time and, and how he and the disciples wanted to walk through the city of Samaria. But because the Samaritans and the Jewish people hated each other so much, uh, those in the city barred Jesus from coming, coming through and entering. And uh, the Samaritans were like, man, we don't, we don't want you Jewish guys walking through our town. We don't care who you are, who you say you are. We don't, we don't want you here. And James and John, if you remember the story, James and John got so mad, they just popped off, man. They're like, Lord, do you want to call down fire from heaven and wipe these people out? Show them who's boss, you know, display strength and power. It'll make you feel better. It'll certainly make us feel better. And what did Jesus say to them? He said, no, I don't want to do that. I didn't come to wipe people out. I came to seek and save those who are lost. I'm not going to force myself on anyone, despite the fact that they don't want me in their city. I still love them. I mean, here Jesus had been rejected. He had been wronged. He had been embarrassed. He didn't lash out. He didn't strike back. He didn't abuse his power. What did he do? He exhibited strength under control. Remember when Jesus was arrested and how the soldiers came and they went to take hold of him? Do you remember what Peter did? Uh, Peter lost control. Do you remember? He grabbed a sword and hacked the guy's ear off. And there's a part of me that's like, okay, I I don't blame him for that. You know, he was just trying to protect Jesus. But Jesus said, Peter, put the sword away. If I wanted help, I could call legions of angels to help and release me from this. He said, but I'm not doing that, so put the sword away. Unlike Peter, Jesus Jesus expressed strength under control, you know, um, wise restraint. Um, Even as he was dying on the cross, and religious experts stood there and mocked him, and they said, if you're so powerful, if you are who you say you are, God, Messiah, Savior, why don't you just jump down off the cross and save yourself? But Jesus wouldn't be baited by their ignorance because that's what he came to do to suffer and offer himself as the sacrifice for humanity's sin. Later on, Peter, who obviously had a lot to learn about gentleness, wrote this to the Christians in the church. He said, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Translation, Jesus was gentle for us. He is our example. So you see, what it it ultimately comes down to is that this whole idea of being gentle basically means becoming more like Jesus, which means humility. (laughs) It means being forgiving being not easily provoked, and demonstrating strength under control. So how are we doing with that? How are you doing with this idea of gentleness in your relationships, um, at your jobs, uh, with friends, classmates, family members, neighbors? How is that going for you? It's a key question because if you read throughout the rest of the New Testament, both Peter and Paul are quite clear on how we as followers of Jesus are to be gentle in the truest sense. Uh, gentle with each other, uh, gentle with those who mistreat us at times, and even gentle with those who remain unbelievers. You know, It's fascinating to me how um, the Greco-Roman world highly valued this idea of gentleness and how their concept of it corresponds quite nicely to the scriptural idea, with one major exception. Uh, for the Greeks and Romans, gentleness was something that, that you had to muster up on your own somehow, some way. You had to generate it through your own human effort, your own discipline, your own goodness. And the problem I have with that is I'm not very disciplined, and I'm just not that good. This week, I I found myself reading about a 6th century Italian philosopher. His name was Cesare Cremonini. I practiced that all week. Uh, I wanted to get it right. Cesare Cremonini. Uh, He was a contemporary of Galileo, very popular in his day. And uh, Cremonini admitted that he didn't have a shred of piety in him, not a shred of of goodness or godliness in him. He admitted that, but he said he wanted people to think that he was pious, to think that he was good, to think that he was godly. So this became his motto. He said, within as you please, out of doors as custom dictates. What did he mean? He meant be whatever, whoever you want on the inside and in private. Just pretend to be good on the outside and when you're outside. Now, have any of you heard of Cremonini? I didn't think so maybe it's because that philosophy doesn't really work very well. I don't know. You know That could be part of it. Because it's really hard to fake piety. It's really hard to fake godliness for any length of time. At least it is for me. It's hard to fake that stuff. And Paul says, hey, he says, go ahead, give it your best shot, but eventually eventually, on your own, the jealousy, the hatred, the rage, the envy, the selfishness, those things that come so easily to us because of our broken sin nature, they're going to make things like, like true gentleness unattainable. However, Paul says, if and when we place our faith in Jesus and experience the grace of God, then the Spirit of God comes, the Helper comes, and begins to transform us from the inside out, taking us from where we're not indulging, you know, the desires and inclinations of our sin nature, and he's guiding us toward a different type of existence. Is that spiritual transformation happening in your life? Is that change happening? Has there been change for you? The other day, I was driving uh, to the office, and I had music playing, and uh, a song came on by recording artist Ryan Adams. I don't, uh, the song was called, it's called Lucky Now. I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but the opening, the opening lines of the tune go like this, I don't remember, were we wild and young, all that faded into memory? I feel like somebody I don't know. Are we really who we used to be? Am I really who I was? I'm pretty sure Ryan Adams didn't have the Apostle Paul or Galatians 5 in mind when he wrote the tune, but I heard those words, and I'm thinking to myself, that's a really good question. That's a good question for us, an evaluative question. You know, am I who I used to be? Am I really who I was? Are you? And as Christians, the answer to that question should be, well, no. I'm I'm not who I used to be. I'm not who I was because my life, our lives, our stories are changing not by way of of human effort. Our lives, our stories are changing because of God's transforming work in us. Jesus changes things. God's grace changes things. The Spirit of God changes things. He changes us. And those ugly, hurtful, unhealthy things like hatred and discord and jealousy, immorality, rage, selfishness, uh, divisiveness, envy, and all the rest are no longer dominating the storyline. But instead, more and more, our unfolding story to the world and to the people around us is one of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And yes, the fruit of the Spirit is also gentleness. And now hopefully we have a much better uh, understanding of what that really means. It simply means we're becoming more like Jesus. Is that your story? I hope so. Let's pray. Our Father, I'm thankful for that song the other day that brought the question to mind, am I really who I used to be? Am I really who I was? That's a question I think all of us can ask of ourselves. And I pray that we would ask it with honesty before you, and we would ask it honestly with ourselves and face the truth of of whether we're changed or not, whether, whether there is this transformation happening where, where rage and envy and jealousy are being left behind, and grace and forgiveness and joy are becoming more and more part of our story. And even as we consider this idea of gentleness, the question is is that becoming a feature of our lives, of our character, of our interaction with others at home, at work, at, jo- at school, wherever? Um, Are we becoming more and more humble before you and before others? And out of that humility, do we demonstrate grace and forgiveness to people, even those who mistreat us at times? Do we exhibit strength under control? Uh, These are questions that only, um, only we ourselves can answer before you. And I pray that we would answer them honestly. And I ask God that your spirit would show us where we lack gentleness. Where where do we lack that in our lives? In what relationships are we not being gentle? Are we not showing humility and and forgiveness? Where where is that happening in our lives? Show us the truth. Help us to uh, face it. And then by your power, enable us to make the appropriate corrections. I ask you would, you would do that, Lord, and that you would continue to form us into men and women who are, who are much more like Jesus every day. Um, change our stories, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, shall we? I want to thank you all for uh, being with us this morning. And, and just so you know, I always feel, feel compelled to, to clarify this so we're all on the same page. You know, we talk about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all the rest. But you realize we're, we're not talking about things that you set out to achieve in order for God to love you, right? We're all clear on that. You, being a Christian doesn't mean you, you do those things so that God loves you and you earn his forgiveness. No. That's religion. And that's crushing. That is crushing, debilitating, disappointing. No, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the rest um, become part of our lives because of God's grace and his presence in our lives. Uh, We become Christians because we put our faith in Jesus who came and and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He came and lived the perfect life we could never live and he died the death we deserve to die. And when we believe in him, we put our faith in him, uh, God's spirit comes and begins to do a, a work in us. And then slowly but surely, joy, love, peace, patience, all those things become part of who we are. See the difference? It's a massive difference between religion and Christianity. And I I hope you guys understand it. It took me a while to figure it out uh, back in the day, but um, when you do, when you realize the truth of it, uh, it's revolutionary. It's different from anything else, any other religion. And um, if you have questions about that following the service, some of our prayer team folks will be down here. Uh, They're happy to talk with you. Or maybe you're, you're, you're in a relationship uh, or in a situation at work or home where gentleness has not really been part of it, and you really want someone to pray for you about that, they're here for you as well. Okay. In the meantime, I hope you have a great week. Uh, come back next Sunday. We're going to continue on. We're going to we're going to hit the final uh, uh, virtue in Paul's list. We'll see what that's about. But uh, but I hope you can come back and be with us. Um, let me pray for us, and then we're dismissed. And now, Lord, I pray that as we go our own way, as we go back to our, our families and our our jobs, our schools. Um, all the activities of life, uh, I pray that we would go with a better understanding of what it means to be gentle. Uh, it just means that, that we're humble and we're forgiving people and we're slow to get angry and, and, and express rage at folks, but we're reasonable and uh, we, we exhibit uh, power and strength under control. Um, I pray that would be true for each of us today. And as we live out these lives of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of these things, um, may, be, may these be the kind of things that point people to you, not just our God, but their God, the God who loves them. So may your hand of grace and peace and gentleness rest on your people today. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.